Good morning and God's blessings to you on this, the third Sunday of Easter. This Sunday is a Sunday that focuses on the steadfast love of the Lord. That's the name of the, the, the first line of the intro that we recite this morning. The steadfast love of the Lord is uh, abounding in the earth. And we see it today, especially as we see Christ, our good shepherd. The good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. A true and noble friend who loves us and seeks only our good uh, even when the world would call it evil and even when our flesh would see what God does for us as uh, painful or hurtful, um, even his death on the cross as a wicked, terrible thing, yet we see it as the love of God that he has for us in Christ Jesus, taking away all of our sins. This morning we'll follow the order of service of divine service setting three without Holy Communion, and we will begin by singing hymn number 482, this joyful Easter tide. Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Beloved in the Lord, let us draw near with a true heart and confess our sins unto God our Father, beseeching him in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to grant us forgiveness. 
Our help is in the name of the Lord, who made heaven and earth. I said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Almighty God, our Maker and Redeemer, we poor sinners confess unto you that we are by nature sinful and unclean, and that we have sinned against you by thought, word, and deed. Wherefore, we flee for refuge to your infinite mercy, seeking and imploring your grace for the sake of our Lord Jesus Christ. O most merciful God, who has given your only begotten Son to die for us, have mercy upon us, and for his sake grant us remission of all our sins, and by your Holy Spirit increase in us true knowledge of you and of your will, and true obedience to your word to the end that by your grace we may come to everlasting life. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, has had mercy upon us and has given his only Son to die for us, and for his sake forgives us all our sins. To those who believe on his name, he gives power to become the children of God and has promised them his Holy Spirit. He that believes and is baptized shall be saved. Grant this, Lord, unto us all. Amen. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. Alleluia. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. Alleluia. Shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. Praise befits the upright. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love, that he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. Alleluia. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. through the humiliation of your Son, you raised up the fallen world. Grant to your faithful people, rescued from the peril of everlasting death, perpetual gladness and eternal joys. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. 
The Old Testament reading for the third Sunday of Easter is from Ezekiel chapter 34. For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I, I myself, will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is coming among, when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep, and I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and will bring them into their own land, and I will feed them on the mountains of Israel, by the ravines, and in all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them with good pasture, and on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. There they shall lie down in good grazing land, and on rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord. I will seek the lost, and I will bring back the strayed, and I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak, and the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The epistle is from 1 Peter chapter 2. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Alleluia. The Lord was known to them in the breaking of the bread. Alleluia, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Alleluia. The Holy Gospel according to St. John, the 10th chapter. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. This is the Gospel of the Lord. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, 
the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Christ is risen, he is risen indeed, alleluia. When Adam and Eve ate the fruit and their eyes were opened, the first thing that they saw was that they were naked and they were immediately ashamed. They had been naked all along, but they were not ashamed before this fall into sin. The fall into sin was a breach of trust. And it wasn't simply that Adam and Eve lost the trust of God like a child loses the trust of his parents when he is disobedient. Trust was lost on all sides. Adam and Eve no longer trusted God. And they certainly didn't trust one another. That's the great irony of 
trying to find solidarity with others in sin. There can be no trust among sinners. Is there really honor among thieves? You've heard that before. Perhaps to some extent, but when push comes to shove, keeping the company of criminals is a sure path to betrayal. There can be no real trust among sinners. In fact, you know how the story goes. When Adam was confronted by God, what did he do first? He immediately, immediately, without hesitating, threw Eve under the bus. It was the woman you gave me. They hadn't been sinning for very long, Adam and Eve. They hadn't been sinning for very long, and already he's come up with a way to betray his wife. So much for having each other's back. So much for looking out for one another. So much for love. When Adam and Eve realized they were naked, they sewed fig leaves together, which was a poor attempt to cover their shame. It was a feeble attempt to protect themselves from one another and from God. But they did it because they had no trust. They felt their nakedness because when they trusted that the snake had their best interests in mind, they found that they could no longer trust one another. And they believed that they could not trust God. And so they felt their nakedness. They felt their shame. They felt exposed and vulnerable. Sometimes when we talk about faith, it can be a little unclear what we mean. It's one of those words that gets used a lot, especially in the church. And so it's easy for it to lose its meaning. But this is a big part of what faith is. It's trusting that someone has your best interests at heart. It's trusting that someone means to do you good. And so you see, you could have faith in lots of different things. You could put your trust in lots of different things. You could have faith in your family, your job, your money, your friends, your government. You could have faith in the universe, in this life, believing that on balance everything works out in the end. You could have faith in karma, that what goes around comes around. And sometimes that faith is rewarded. Your family, your job, your money, your friends, your government, the universe, sometimes they do things that end up being in your best interest, but not always. And sometimes they hurt you and do evil to you. And their power is limited, all those things that you might trust. Their power is limited, the best example being at the end of your life. At the end of your life, all of the very best intentions of those whom you trust even those you trust the most, your family, your friends, all of their best intentions cannot save you. If you want to know what a person trusts, what they believe in, what they have faith in, you can look at what they devote themselves to. Where do they spend their time and attention? Where do they go in time of need? What makes them feel safe and comfortable? And what is most devastating for them to lose? We saw it with Adam and Eve. We know what they trusted. They trusted the snake. They trusted their own efforts to hide themselves, to protect themselves. They didn't trust God. They didn't trust one another. And an honest assessment of all the things that we trust reveals the very same thing. It's no wonder that we live in a godless world, a faithless world, because the world has gotten trust all wrong. You and I have gotten trust all wrong on our own. We are inclined to trust all of the wrong things. Now, it's often thought that we could all stand to be a bit more trusting, a bit more vulnerable. That if we didn't have our defenses up so often, we could grow in our relationships and flourish. And I suppose there's some truth to that. Having your defenses up all of the time out of fear is a tiresome way to live. And most people do, in fact, live that way to some extent. But at the same time that we're busy being skeptical and untrusting, we also do trust exactly when we shouldn't. We put our confidence in people and institutions that do not have our best interests at heart. We put our faith in people and institutions that do not mean to do us good. And that's a given. It's a given fact that people and institutions cannot always mean to do us good. People are unreliable. They break their promises. They don't keep their word. People are selfish and conceited by nature. It's built in. 
We know this about people because we know it about ourselves. Everyone looks out for himself. Everyone seeks his own good. People are untrustworthy. Now, we have ways to get by in the world. We agree to trust one another to a certain extent, but we hold things back. We contrive and manipulate, and we lie. We do not tell the truth. The truth is the glue that holds trust together. You saw how the truth and the lie played a role in the fall. God told the truth. In the day that you eat of that fruit, you will certainly die. God told the truth, but Adam and Eve believed the serpent's lie. You will not surely die. They did that because they thought the serpent was telling the truth and God was lying. They didn't trust God and trusted the serpent instead. But because they got, all the, tr- they got the truth all wrong, their trust was all wrong too. And our experience shows us how important the truth is. When someone lies, the door opens to the possibility that they could lie again. And so you don't know whether you can believe them. Trust is broken It's a tragedy, but it is also universal. We are no good with the truth. We gladly tell the truth when it serves our own interests. But when telling the truth would hurt us, we are all too happy to spin a tale or alter the facts or cover things up. It's a real mess. Besides telling lies, we are also glad to believe them when they're convenient, when they make our lives more comfortable. And so, in the end, we look a lot like Adam and Eve. Trusting the liar, the serpent, who intends only evil. Believing the lies that make us feel good or comfortable. And hiding ourselves, even if poorly and feebly, hiding ourselves behind our fig leaf defenses to protect us from one another. And worst of all, to protect us from God. It's a real mess. And I wanted you to think about it. To think about trust and the truth and how our trust is all wrong. I wanted you to think about it so that this next part can have its full weight. Think of what it would be like to have a friend who didn't just share your interests, someone who didn't just think of you from time to time or do kind, nice, generous things for you now and again. Think of what it would be like to have a friend who only ever thought about what would be good for you all the time. What would it be like to have a friend who was only ever sincerely, genuinely interested in your good all the time? Perhaps you know what it feels like to find out that someone has your back. Perhaps you have someone in your life who would do anything for you. That's what we say about people who are most trustworthy, who love us and sincerely want what's good for us. But you also know that there are limits to our love. We don't mean it literally. They say they'd do anything for you but not really anything. They say they'll be there whenever you need them, but there are times when they just can't, when it's impossible, or when they don't want to. What if you had a friend who would do literally anything for you, who only ever thought about your good and never his own, and he expected nothing in return? You'd probably feel a bit guilty. In fact, it's hard to imagine, but you'd probably feel a bit guilty because how could you return the favor to such a friend? How could you match that devotion and affection? You'd probably feel unworthy because you know that while you're glad to do good for your friend now and again, you cannot do it all the time. You have to seek your own good as well from time to time. You have to take care of yourself as well. But imagine how you'd feel, especially in your deepest, darkest hours, knowing that you have a friend who is not thinking of himself for a moment, who is not there just as a matter of convenience or just to keep a good face, who is not just thinking nice thoughts or sending condolences, but is actually working, acting all the time to help and support you, to do what's good for you, to bless you. It's unimaginable, really, that kind of a friend. Even the best, most trust-filled relationships we have in this life are just a shadow, a faint echo of what that would be like. But that is what makes Jesus the Good Shepherd. He has no reason to trust us, of course. We are the children of Adam and Eve, and we're sheep, after all. But he has offered himself to us as a shepherd whom we can trust 
completely. And what a strange shepherd he is. He's not thinking of how he can feed himself off his flock. He's not thinking of fattening us up and leading us to slaughter. He's not picking and choosing which sheep he likes best. He is tending and keeping the whole flock for their good. So much of our trust in this world is placed in people and institutions who are just using us. And I don't say that just to make you more skeptical than you already are or to make you more cynical than you need to be. I say that to put in perspective what is sometimes hard for us to see, that it is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. That's what the psalmist says, and he says it because he knows what people are like. When Israel wanted to have a king like the nations, a king in whom they could put their trust, the prophet Samuel warned them that if God gave them a king, that king would be selfish and take their children and their fields and their vineyards and he would enrich himself and enslave them. And it wouldn't be because he was a particularly bad person. It would simply be because he was a person at all. They were choosing to trust a person instead of putting their trust in God. Even the best kings are finally not worthy of our trust. Look what happened to Uriah when he trusted King David. Even the best kings are finally not worthy of our trust, even when they do the good that God gives them to do, even when they execute justice and protect the innocent and the poor. They're not worthy of our trust because they're men, children of Adam and Eve, like you and I are. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. It is better to trust in the good shepherd because he is the one who has only our best interests in mind. Everything that he does, he does for our good, even promising to lay down his life for the sheep. Why would he do that? What good would it do him to save the flock if he himself were to die? It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense to die for the sheep. And yet he did it. He laid down his life because he is the good shepherd. And he showed himself to be completely trustworthy. Remember the connection between trust and the truth. Jesus is trustworthy because he does not lie. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. He does not speak the truth only when it's convenient, only when it makes him feel good, or only when it makes you feel good. But he speaks the truth. He speaks plainly to you. He speaks to you as a friend. Because the truth is what sets us free. If Jesus were deceitful, or duplicitous, or double-minded, then we could not trust him. If he said things just to pander to us or to keep us from being angry with him, then he would not be trustworthy. He speaks the truth to us even when it pains us, even when it pains him, because the truth is what's good for us. It's what sets us free. It's what gives us salvation. It's the reason we can trust him. It's the foundation of our faith. If you abide in my word, he said, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Put your trust in him. Believe what he says. Look to him in his cross and in his resurrection for all good things. Look to his crucified body and his shed blood. Look to them for all good things. Pray to him for blessings. Fall on your knees before him and no one else asking for mercy. When you do that, a remarkable thing happens. When we trust in God, when we believe his words and receive his Holy Spirit, when we have him as our good shepherd, he creates in us new and clean hearts so that by faith in him we can make a beginning, living holy lives right now, being righteous and good and trustworthy, something we could never be by nature. We can make a beginning now. By faith in him, we can begin to hate falsehood and to love the truth. By faith in him, we can begin to trust one another and to seek only the good of our neighbors instead of using and manipulating them for our own gain. When we trust first in God, everything is set back in order. 
When God is in his place as the trustworthy one, the one who loves us and seeks our good and blesses us and tells us the truth, then everything else falls into place as well. The devil gets trampled underfoot as a liar and a murderer and as untrustworthy. We see wicked, sinful men for what they are, children of their father, the devil, and we do not entrust our lives to them, but to the one who judges justly. We do not put our faith in them, but we receive from the hands of men only those good things that God has promised us, and we do not hope in the false promises of liars and thieves. And we trust completely in Jesus, crucified and risen for us, because in him we have everything that we need, forgiveness, life, and salvation, a new life and the resurrection, eternity, the kingdom of heaven is ours. Seek first those things, and all the other things will be added to you. And we see those in Christ, our brothers and sisters in Christ, we see them, we see one another as new creations, growing in sanctification. And we have a chance, even now, through forgiveness, to love one another as Christ loved us, to follow in his example, suffering for one another, and waiting for the Lord, who is our help and our shield. It is a marvelous promise that he has given to us. He is our good shepherd, the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. Let us always look to him for every good thing. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. Jesus and for all people according to their needs. Almighty and most merciful God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, we give you thanks for all your goodness and tender mercies, especially for the gift of your dear Son and for the revelation of your will and grace. Implant your word in us with good and honest hearts so that we may keep it and bring forth the fruits of faith. We humbly implore you to rule and govern your church throughout the world. Bless all those who proclaim your truth, that we may be preserved in the pure doctrine of your saving word, and that faith in you may be strengthened, love toward others increased, and your kingdom extended. Send forth laborers into your harvest, and sustain those whom you have sent, that the word of reconciliation may be proclaimed to all people and the gospel preached in all the world. Grant health and prosperity to all who are in authority, especially to the President and Congress of the United States, the Governor and Legislature of this state, and to all those who make, administer, and judge our laws. Grant them grace to rule according to your good pleasure for the maintenance of righteousness and the hindrance and punishment of wickedness, that we may lead quiet and peaceable lives in all godliness. According to your good pleasure, turn the hearts of our enemies and adversaries, that they may cease their hostilities and walk with us in meekness and in peace. Comfort, O God, with your Holy Spirit, all who are in trouble, want, sickness, anguish of labor, peril of death, or any other adversity. Grant your grace especially to Donna, Lori, Lucy, Roland, Vivian, and Kathy. Grant courage and steadfastness especially to those who suffer for your name's sake, that they may receive and accept their afflictions in the confidence that you will acknowledge them as your own. Although we have deserved your righteous wrath and punishment, yet, 
we ask you, O most merciful Father, not to remember the sins of our youth, nor our many transgressions. Out of your unspeakable goodness and mercy, defend us from all harm and danger to body and soul. Preserve us from false doctrine, from war and bloodshed, from plague and pestilence, from all calamity by fire and water, from hail and tempest, from failure of harvest and from famine, from anguish of heart and despair of your mercy, and from an evil death. In every time of trouble, show yourself a very present help, the Savior of all, especially to those who believe. Cause all needed fruits of the earth to prosper, that we may enjoy them in due season. Give success to the Christian training of the young, to all lawful occupations on land, sea, and air, and to all pure arts and useful knowledge, crowning them with your blessing. Receive, O God, our bodies and souls and all our talents, for by, your, for by the blood of your Son he has purchased us to be your own, that we may live under him in his kingdom. These and whatsoever other things you would have us ask of you, O God, grant us for the sake of Jesus Christ, your only Son, our Lord and Savior, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. Amen. Amen.
God's peace and blessings to you once again. This is the third Sunday of Easter. Uh, just a couple of announcements to draw your attention to. Um, we'll be watching the news here in the next couple of weeks to make sure that uh, as things open up, as, as soon as it's possible for us to open things up here again at church, we'll be doing everything we can uh, to be back in the sanctuary um, in whatever ca capacity we can. Um, it, it'll be good for us to be together. Um, and so pay close attention, watch your email, and, uh, and listen out for what's, what's coming next. Um, I, in the bulletin insert that was sent out this week, I, sorry for the technical difficulties, if you had a little trouble getting a hold of the bulletin insert, uh, or if you got last week's, um, if you check again now, you should be able to get this week's bulletin insert from, from the email that you received yesterday. Um, this week's Bible story for the kids especially uh, is Genesis chapter 11, the Tower of Babel. Here's, here's what I wrote about it, just a, a quick summary. Even after God washed the world clean from wickedness in the flood, the sin in people's hearts was not gone. Some thought that by building a tower they could reach heaven and put themselves in the place of God. So God confused their language and scattered them throughout the world to keep their pride in check. And that's a good story for us to, to bear in mind as we think about our own lives, about the gifts that God has given us and what they are useful for, and how God um, often does things, often disciplines us, simply for the purpose of keeping our pride in check, so that we do not think too much of ourselves, so that we do not place too much trust in ourselves or the things of this world, but instead trust in him alone. Um, and so the prayer, the prayer that goes along with this uh, lesson is, is a good one for us to hold uh, close in our hearts. Heavenly Father, keep us from pride and help us always to fear, love, and trust in you alone. What a gift that is when we do, when we trust in God alone, when we trust in our Heavenly Father, in our Good Shepherd alone, then all of the other good things that God has given us in this world, we receive them as good as opposed to receiving them in the place of God, and they become idols and corrupt and perverse. Uh, this week, again, we'll try having a Zoom Bible study on Wednesday at 7 p.m. It worked out pretty well this week. We've got uh, a couple of... Um, a couple of technical glitches that are, that are worked out, and um, so this, this week promises to be even better than last week. Um, I talked a little bit about uh, one of the questions that had come in, which was, how do we recognize Jesus on the last day when he comes again? And just for anybody who wasn't able to listen in, it's a helpful question, and it's a good question, and the answer um, is wonderfully simple. It is that we recognize Jesus on the last day in the very same way that we recognize him right now, by listening for the voice of our shepherd, listening to his word, his promises, what he says about sin, God's will, and the commandments, uh, but especially what he says about uh, the forgiveness that we have by the blood of Jesus. That's how you recognize your Savior, by listening for his voice, listening to what he says. He speaks the truth, and where you hear his truth, there you will also find him. Uh, but come again this week. Um, I'd like to spend a little time uh, talking in Bible study this week about preparing to die, which is a pertinent thing for Christians, whether you are aged or young or sick or well or somewhere in between, no matter, the life of a Christian is a life of preparing to die. In the, in the prayers today, we prayed for, we prayed against evil death, and the life of a Christian is spent preparing for a blessed death. What that looks like, we'll talk about this week, but also please send me uh, any questions that you have. I'd love to take up your questions. It's good, uh, good fodder for discussion and, uh, and well worth our time. Watch your email this week for another link to join in the Zoom Bible study on Wednesday at 7 p.m. And if you have any questions, don't hesitate to reach out and let me know, and I'll help you, help you as best I can. With that, once again, God's peace and blessings, and I look forward to seeing you soon.